Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the latest installment of Hey Horka on the Blue and Gold. YouTube channel. Make sure you like this particular video and subscribe to the Blue and Gold YouTube channel for more conversations just like this. My name is Darren Pritchett from Sports Radio 960 WSBT in South Bend. He, of course, is Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Tyler was down in Raleigh covering the 45-24 Irish victory over North Carolina State Tyler, after playing two inferior opponents, I think one of the major storylines that we all focused on, we were going to learn a lot about the Notre Dame football team in the matchup against North Carolina State. Obviously, an upgrade in opposition. And after a rough start and a weather delay, Notre Dame seemed like they seemed very composed throughout the ball game, facing really their first adversity of the season. And you look up at the scoreboard, and they won by 21. Yeah, was it on this program? Or maybe it was uh, with Mike Singer. I did a lot of these talking, uh, these videos, podcasts, whatever it was last week. I was talking a lot about Notre Dame football. So I can't exactly remember where I said what. But on one of those, I said, if Notre Dame comes away from this game winning by 21, I think I put out that exact number, three touchdowns, then, yeah, I think you start – to have that conversation that Notre Dame 
is for real. And the 98 to six or whatever it was in those first two games, you're supposed to beat bad opponents badly. Right. And that's what Notre Dame did. And then you severely step up the level of competition. NC state is not um, a top three team on this schedule, probably not even a top four team. I think Duke, obviously is in there and maybe Duke's the third best team on this schedule now and Clemson is number four based on what happened in week one but all of that to say NC State is a mid-level team on this Notre Dame schedule and so like like you do with the bad teams beat the bad teams badly and then beat the middle mid-level teams pretty handily and that's what this was in the end yeah it was three to zero uh through the first quarter at that weather delay you're sitting there thinking man, is Notre Dame going to have like what it takes to really pull away in this thing in the end? And the question was answered. Yes. I mean, it was an opportunistic game for Notre Dame, obviously, but that's what good football teams do. I think Dave Doran, NC State's head coach, said it after the game. They took advantage of our miscues. Brennan Armstrong throws three interceptions. Notre Dame gets 14 points off of those turnovers. Um, When you give a team less than half of a field, Uh, with a quarterback like Sam Hartman, you should be able to punch those drives into the end zone. Notre Dame did that. Notre Dame ends up scoring 45 points. It's averaging 47.7 points through three games. So even though it was kind of dicey there in the, in the first, I mean, if Notre Dame doesn't, and we'll talk about tempo here in a minute on this show, but if Notre Dame doesn't go down there and score at the end of the first half, again, you're talking about a 10 to seven ball game at halftime and people are probably thinking, oh, no, where is this thing going to go? I, I I really think that touchdown was huge. 17 to 7 looked a whole lot different than 10 to 7. And then in the fourth quarter, when it was winning time, Notre Dame won that ballgame. I think you walk away, if you're Marcus Freeman, disappointed with the number of penalties you had in this contest. There was one NC State drive. I think it was their first scoring drive mm-hmm. enhanced by – Notre Dame just giving them free yardage. The 10 penalties to beat the great teams, you're going to have to cut that down. I think pass protection, that's going to be something that's really going to be emphasized going forward as Sam was under distress quite often in this game. Partial credit, of course, to North Carolina State. But I tell you what, one of my big concerns going into the year was defensive line. And even though, Tyler, as we expected, I don't think they're going to be able to put together consistent quality pass rushes by themselves. Hey, the blitz worked beautifully. Al Golden dialed up some great blitzes in that game to supply pressure leading to interceptions. So the defensive line, though, is a lot better than I expected, even though the pressures probably aren't going to come at the level we wanted. But the fact that this defensive line is playing at this level, my preseason thought of 10-2, and I'm willing to think about bigger and better things right now with the balance all over this football team. Yeah, I keep getting asked that question a few times on our blueandgold.com message board about, hey, what do you think about Notre Dame now? What do you think uh, after this win? After, I mean, we're three games into this thing. We're, we're a fourth of the way through the season. So I think it's fair to kind of shape your narrative and, and, and shape what you think of this football team, which can be different than what it was on August 25th. I mean, we have uh, 180 minutes of, of sample size of, of game action to look at and say, Hey, Sam Hartman hasn't thrown an interception in that time. I know Notre Dame only has one sack. We're going to talk about that. But that defensive line, to your point, Darren, is deep. Pretty much every single person that you put out there, you feel, hey, that guy has the ability to make a play or 
he's not going to make a stupid play. I think that's a big thing, just as much as getting the sacks and getting the tackle for losses. I think those are going to come. But I haven't really seen an instance where I'm like, what the heck was Jordan Botello doing there? Or, you know, Josh Burnham, he, he's only a sophomore. He, he can't take these reps. And same thing with Junior Tui Halamaka. Like, every time those guys go in there, I'm like, they're good. And, and Jason Onye, little bit late bloomer in his junior year, he's good. Donovan Ahinish, uh, who is also a, so- a sophomore, is playing a lot because Gabriel Rubio is out. And it sounds like he's going to be out for at least a few more weeks. Donovan Heinisch gets 21 snaps in this game. That's 21 times that I had the ability to, to look there and say, oh, man, 41 looks out of place or 41 isn't you know, on his assignments or reading his keys or whatever it is. And I never did that. So I think the defensive line depth is there. Uh, we know We knew about Sam Hartman going into the season. The only question was, hey, what does it look like at Notre Dame? And it looks really good. So, yeah, I, I think it's totally fair to your point, Darren, to say, hey, if you thought this was a 10 and two team going into the year, maybe it's 11 and one. I uh, uh, somewhat infamously predicted nine and three. <laughs> maybe I'm leaning 10 and two. Maybe I'm leaning 11 and one. Like I'm starting to change my mind about this team as well. The old USC Notre Dame game could almost be one of those elimination games for the postseason. Yeah. Granted, Notre Dame's got to beat Ohio State and everybody else. Right. But- that game's building towards something extra special. All right, for Tyler, sure. it is a home week for the Fighting Irish. They're getting set to take on Central Michigan Saturday at 3.30. And for folks coming into town, it's an opportunity to stop by Augie's to see all the new Notre Dame items that he has because, hey, items come in all the time. And the uniqueness, I think, is what really stands out about this place. Yeah, absolutely. If you're watching on YouTube, which we've got a few of you on here early in the show, we thank you. I'm, I'm showing our YouTube watchers just some of the items that Augie has uh, in his Augie's locker room. It's incredible. If you're coming up for the Central Michigan game this weekend, you mentioned Ohio State. Obviously, Notre Dame's got back-to-back home games. You've got to make time for Augie's locker room. They have a wide selection of Notre Dame stadium pieces, jerseys, helmets, autographs and one-of-a-kind Newt Rockney items. You can find exclusive Joe Montana-signed items and famous sculptor Jerry McKenna's replicas of the bronze statues around the stadium. Augie gets new items all the time. If he doesn't have it in his store, he'll find it for you. Visit Augie at 1811 South Bend Avenue, which is literally a hop, skip, and a jump away from Notre Dame's campus. If you've got an arm like Sam Hartman's, you could probably throw a rock or a football and uh, hit Augie's locker room from the stadium parking lots that you're going to be tailgating at. So... Uh, Get there, see the vintage helmet display dating back to 1890. Amazing items. You've got to see them all. Visit AugiesLockerRoom.com, which is where you will find what I'm showing all the YouTube watchers right now. And give them a call at 574-277-6363. All right. Very good. He's Tyler Horka. I'm Darren Pritchett. Don't forget, to our right, I guess on the camera, it's this way. You can also leave comments, and we'll be watching yes, your yeah. comments. We'll, we'll bring up those comments along the way as we are live on this Monday following the Notre Dame 45-24 victory over North Carolina State. So now let's dig into some of the questions that have been asked of Tyler. And let's begin one from Coop Dog. And Coop wants to know how similar – is the Notre Dame offense with Jared Parker calling the plays compared to the one that Tommy Reese ran the last couple of years? Before I answer that question, let's just start out with this. 
I think that was that really this season so far, I know Alabama's only played two games, one of them against Middle Tennessee, but when Alabama got its first test of the season and, and Tommy Reese is calling those plays for the Alabama offense, knowing that Notre Dame is averaging 47.7 points and had 45 points on the road against a team that is really billed for its defense, right? Tony Gibson, NC State, the Wolfpack, they fly around. Marcus Freeman gave them all the credit in the world post-game, even today in his Monday press conference. For Notre Dame to do that, and then Notre Dame fans to be able to settle into their couches, turn on ABC or ESPN, whatever it was, and watch Alabama just struggle mightily offensively. Let's let's face it, Texas won that game because Alabama just couldn't get much going offensively. It really was a defensive game through and through until that fourth quarter. I think Notre Dame fans are kind of relishing in that. I mean, are they not, Darren? Like, if you were a diehard Notre Dame fan and you're watching that, you got to be like, ah. Yeah. I wasn't the anti-Tommy Reese guy. I was more anti-Tommy Reese recruiting quarterbacks. That was my big concern. His play calling was okay. I think he got the most out of Drew Pine last year, to be honest with you. He was working with this much of the playbook. Jared Parker's working with this much was Sam Hartman, but I think it's interesting. If it is truly Tommy's goal to go to the NFL, you could argue going to work with Nick Saban is one way to do so, but you also went to a place that does not have the type of quarterback that you're leaving behind. So staying one more year working with Sam Hartman might have benefited him more. I mean, Milrow, he's a great runner, but Tyler, you saw, I just don't think he sees the field. He doesn't react well, doesn't pull the trigger. So I think Tommy's got his hands full despite having a, a pretty good running game. Boy, he's, he's got his hands full for a second straight year trying to win a lot of big games with a quarterback that probably is not exactly what you signed up for. And I think that's the big thing in this conversation is man, like Tommy left at the wrong time, right? Like if you're looking at this from a Notre Dame perspective, you've got the best quarterback that you've had on this campus since maybe some say Jimmy Clausen, just in terms of total overall talent, but it's probably Brady Quinn in terms of quarterbacking, everything that goes into it, the longevity of a career, just, just what you are as a quarterback. Sam Hartman's the best that Notre Dame's had in 20 years, certainly in Tommy Reese's coaching career, which has only lasted about, a half dozen years at this point. So, I mean, you, I, I said it back then too, in February, whatever it was, you can't fault a guy for wanting to go to Alabama, but that was February. This is September and what we saw in fall camp. And now what we've seen through two games for Alabama, Notre Dame's got a better offensive situation right now than, than Alabama has. I mean, the wide receiver recruiting is great. The running back recruiting is great. Um, Notre Dame has always been billed as offensive line use. So, yeah, you've got these big mountains that go to the NFL regularly coming out of Alabama. Sure, but you've got some of those at Notre Dame as well. So it, it's kind of tough to see. Like, if you're a diehard Tommy Reese fan, which I'm sure there's a small faction of Notre Dame, fame, Notre Dame fans who are, probably kind of feel bad for him and say, man, I, I wish we still had him type of thing. But now let's shift gears and get into the conversation. Uh, Coop Dog put on the message board. What does this Notre Dame offense look like without Tommy Reese? Is it similar to what Tommy Reese did at Notre Dame? And I think that's the I think that's the answer. It's yes. You still see a lot of Tommy Reese slash Notre Dame principles with Jared Parker calling plays than that you saw 
with Tommy Reese himself. And you're still seeing duo. You're still seeing a lot of counter. You're still seeing a lot of reliance on the big guys up front to get the job done. Drew Pine, I don't know what it is. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But what did he average, Darren, last year? Like maybe 20 passes a game, 25 passes a game, somewhere in there. I would say how so. Many did, how many did Sam Hartman throw? need to throw to beat NC State? It was 24. It was 15 of 24 uh, for, what was it, 200 and uh, – 286. 286, yeah, and four touchdowns. So Drew Pine had games like that. Go, go look at North Carolina where uh, he might have actually thrown the ball maybe 30 times in that one. I don't know. But he has some very efficient games like that, and I think that is the product, the byproduct of just the way Notre Dame calls offenses. So Jared Parker has a lot of the same principles as Tommy Reese. Uh, you made a good point before we jumped on here, though probably working the middle of the field a little bit more. I have Sam Hartman's um, drive um, or his his passing chart up, and I'm just looking at the numbers. He threw over the middle of the field considerably more than he threw to the, you know, outside or to the boundaries or outside the hash marks. I think it was uh, of those 24 throws, I'm looking here, 13 of them, so over half are in the middle. And then you had um, four to the right, and then I guess it would have been six um, on the left. So working the middle of the field is something that Notre Dame fans have been longing for. And it seems like maybe that's a big difference between Parker and Reese. You're going to get more of that with Parker maybe, or is that, is that a Sam Hartman thing? I personally, my opinion, BK and Reese didn't like to use the middle of the field. Even before Tommy, it was like that. So I think there's a lot of coaches out there and I'm not saying they're wrong that just see the middle of the field as a lot of negatives can happen when you throw it with all the arms and bodies that are in that area. So you can win without using the middle of the field, but I just think it's an area of the field. You can take advantage. I see a lot of schools using slants to get players open. I think crossing routes are highly effective, especially with a guy like Chris Tyree. You want to figure out ways to get him the ball, him coming across the field, making the catch. And I mean, he's going to be at full speed heading up the field. So there's many ways to win on offense. I personally love to use the middle of the field. I love to establish the tight end in the middle of the field. So I like what Parker's doing right now. So Tommy won in his way. I personally like the way Jared's winning right now. Yeah. And I think somebody made a point maybe on our message board. It's been made multiple places now. Uh, the use of the offensive linemen is probably a little bit different with Parker than it was with Reese. We're seeing a lot of polling, like Pat Coogan pulled on the Audric Estime 80-yard touchdown, uh, really good ceiling block on, on the right edge there. Estime undercuts it, uh, goes underneath it, and all of a sudden, 80 yards later, he's in the end zone. That play doesn't score without that polling guard. So that, that was a big block. Uh, you see it quite a bit. Um, so I think that's a really good thing that Jared Parker has been doing. Um, and, and I think he actually talked about that last week going into that game was, Hey, if we've got athletic offensive linemen, we, we might as well use them. Um, I don't know if Tommy Reese leaned into that as much, but that's going to be a big thing for Jared Parker. And then I think it's cohesion with Marcus Freeman. He says, Hey, we're going to establish this run. And Notre Dame has been a very balanced team. It was pretty balanced last year too, but just because Sam Hartman's – like, for example, I, I mentioned the 24 passes. Sam Hartman at Wake Forest threw 47 pass attempts against NC State last year and only scored 21 points. They lost 30-21. to 21. 
at Notre Dame, you don't have to do that. So uh, Jared Parker, it's good to see him say, yeah, I've got this elite quarterback. Maybe he's one of the five or 10 best in college football, but I'm not just going to throw his arm off and, and try to win the game that way. I can win the game these other ways. So um, overall, I mean, could probably end this conversation on Parker Reese just by saying as much as maybe people didn't like Reese or weren't too sad to see him go, they were probably equally as scared to promote a guy like Jared Parker who doesn't have a whole lot of play calling experience through three games. I think it's worked out. Has it not? Absolutely. I want to bring up Andrew's comment from a moment ago. He says, I think the elephant in the room is the wide receiver play. Parker realized that he had to pivot to throwing to the tight ends for all the discussion about improvements in the wide receiver room. We have a long way to go. I thought that was interesting. Of course, the Navy game, they've kind of taken away the tight end. But ever since the Navy game, the tight ends got more involved. You know, I felt like Holden stays was coming. Well, he's had three touchdown catches over the last two games. You know, I'm not sure that's what Parker's thinking, but I think it is fair to bring up the fact that the wide receiver position, I still think, is a work in progress. And I'm really looking forward to watching this week's game. It's going to be more prevalent against Ohio State with better talent. But I'm really curious to see sitting in the press box, not having to worry about trying to figure things out on a a small camera shot on TV. Are the wide receivers getting enough separation consistently to help Sam Hartman getting the football down the field? I've seen some good things and some bad things on that front for sure. I've been at all three games this year. Uh, It was definitely a lot easier against Navy and Tennessee State for these wide receivers to get open. Uh, NC State, things were a little bit more difficult. I think NC State has a couple of really good quarterbacks, Aiden White being the better of those two. Uh, he was kind of blanketing guys and and really casting a shadow over the Notre Dame wide receivers. So it was tough. I mean, you're going to see that against the better teams. Ohio State's got really good athletes on the outside. Uh, even Clemson, uh, I know they didn't look good against Duke, but athletes. Um, and, and then Duke beat Clemson. So that's going to be a tough game for Notre Dame's wide receivers as well. But the thing for me, and, and I agree with Andrew here when he says that the wide receivers have a long way to go, Man, I was really beating that Jaden Thomas, you know, drum and, and really on that hype train. And for him to just kind of no-show in a game, you can't have a wide receiver one no-show to me. And and Marcus Freeman said Monday, he said today, yeah, any any guy can be the the guy on any given play, and that's good for our offense. And I, and I, I agree as well, but, I mean, maybe there's going to be some games down the line, and there are where Notre Dame's not going to win by 21 points, and Notre Dame's going to need to sustain a drive, like in like when the pressure is on and, and when it matters. Notre Dame still didn't really have to do that at NC State. I know you have the two minute drill, but that's different. It feels different. We're going to talk about that in a minute. I'm talking late game. It, Notre Dame is either trailing or it's tied, and the, the outcome of the game is going to come down to what Notre Dame does on a particular drive. That's when you need Jaden Thomas to like get three targets and maybe have a couple catches. If he is your wide receiver one uh, Tobias Merriweather's one catch can't be where he's kind of open him across the middle of the field. And then he's running like he's got to be targeted more than that. And he's uh, he was targeted twice in that game. And that was one of his targets. So uh, to, to uh, Andrew's point, I, I agree. I, I think 
potential is very high for these Notre Dame wide receivers, but consistency is probably not all the way there yet. I'll close just by saying this. I have a good friend who was an offensive player at Notre Dame, and I use him to throw ideas off of. And during Tommy Reese's time as offensive coordinator, he would often say Tommy was slow to make adjustments. I think Parker's quick to make adjustments. Gadouli, Parker, that whole group, I felt like they, mm. they altered things on the fly, going unbalanced with the offensive line, coming out of the weather delay and estimate, boom, gone. I think we're starting to see at least early on. I know it's early, but the adjustments made during that game helped this football team. I know pass protection is going to be talked about a lot, but I felt like they did some good things to put this offense in a good position to succeed going forward. Yeah, and I, I think um, just one quick point about that. It's kind of an instance where Jared Parker doesn't have a reputation and he's got like nothing to lose. He's like, why wouldn't I adjust? If this isn't working, I'm going to try something else. I don't have an image. I'm not this guy offensively. Like Tommy Reese might think, hey, this is who I am. I'm going to show everyone that I can do it this way. But adjustments are a huge part of the game. I think Jared Parker realizes that and he's like, hey, if I don't adjust – I'm not going to have this job for very long. So, so why wouldn't I? And yeah, it's been good to see. Okay. Let's go to our next question. It is from Nighthawk Indie fan 69. Does Notre Dame need more tempo in its offense on a regular basis? This is the second week in a row. I think we've asked this question, right? And it's going to keep surfacing if Notre Dame keeps doing what it does at the end of the first half, where it goes right down the field and scores. Here's the thing though. I don't know if Sam Hartman's going to be able to roll out to his right and suck like five defenders in close on him. And Chris Tyree's going to be waving his arms wide open on the sideline. That's not going to work every week. And that's the only reason Notre Dame scored on this particular drive. I think that Holden stay or uh, Mitchell Evans, I think somebody posted in the comments uh, and I want to shout that person out because he was right. Um, let me know if you see that Darren, the, the, the comment about, Mitchell Evans dropping a pass because, yeah, he did. And it was not a good start to this two-minute drill. But then you get the Chris Tyree play. Uh, say it again there, Darren. I had you muted. Oh, you muted yourself, Darren, so you're going to have to take yourself off. But, yeah, somebody said that um, – say, say it one more time, Darren. 322 Andrew had the comment. All right. We appreciate that. Because, yeah, that was, I mean, when I saw that drop, I was like, ah, this isn't going to work as well as the Tennessee state drive, but then you get that long play, which is kind of an anomaly to me. You don't see that play often. Um, Notre Dame didn't draw it up that way. Good on Sam Hartman for improvising and good on Chris Tyree for kind of leaking out a little bit and saying, Hey, I've got space now. And, and Hartman found him. and uh, a play later. I think it was Jaden Greathouse is in the end zone or, or a couple plays later, or whatever it was. So um, Marcus Freeman, let, let's just take this conversation this direction. Marcus Freeman talked about this today. And reading between the lines, I mean, it was a lengthy quote, a little bit of a word salad. He said a few things to say one thing, and that was, yeah, our, our offense is capable of throwing in some tempo. We can go a little faster in the second quarter if we want to, but we don't think we need to right now. Uh, I don't know. We just talked about Jared Parker adjustments, and this would qualify as one if Notre Dame started going a little faster in spots where you didn't expect it. I think that's a good thing. I think Notre Dame should do that, but – Hey, this offense is really humming. I know it had some three and outs there in that game as well. Six of them, in fact. But, Darren, I don't think – oh, tempo. That, that's that's the – you know, that's the cure-all to a three and out. I think it might actually lead to a few more of them. 
I'm going to stay in pat with my comments from last week. I just feel like if you're on a run on offense, it's a good way of trying to spark, kickstart your offense. Otherwise, with all the different personnel groupings, I just don't think that's in the best interest of this Notre Dame offense. I mean, it's hard to argue against people to say, well, look what they're doing in the two-minute drill. They haven't been stopped yet. I can't argue against that. I just think big picture, continue to use your personnel groupings, work at your own pace, establish that running game. If you're in a funk, go to it. Otherwise, I'm not fixing something that doesn't need fixing right now. Yeah, and honestly, I don't know if there's too much more to say on this because, again, we talked about it last week. Um, But if Notre Dame keeps doing this, and I thought another part of this conversation that is pretty interesting, uh, Marcus Freeman came out flat and said today, if there's 30 seconds on the clock and we've got timeouts and we can burn them and get the ball back, that's what we think uh, is all we need for Sam Hartman and this Notre Dame offense to go score. So I don't think there's a whole lot of teams out there. Maybe the one that has Caleb Williams uh, could could say the same thing, but it's kind of cool for Notre Dame to be in that class of teams that says, Hey, all we need is half a minute to go score a touchdown at the end of a half. And really, I talked about it earlier that touchdown, um, I mean, there were some big touchdowns in that game. Scoring off the interceptions for sure were, were huge, but that touchdown is one of the bigger scores in the game because if NC State goes into its home locker room after the weather delay at halftime and is like, hey, we're within three points of Notre Dame still, like that's what it was during the delay. We just played 14 minutes and 45 seconds of more football and we're still within three points. We can win this game. I think 17 to seven was a different deal. So this is just a two-minute drill thing, guys. This is not the Notre Dame offense. This, And you see it all – Darren, don't you see it all the time? We watch a lot of football. It always seems like – I mean, it can be um, – it can be your Denver Broncos. You're a Broncos fan, aren't you? Or am I getting – yeah. It can be your Denver Broncos with Russell Wilson. And for some reason, even that offense would look good in a two-minute drill. That doesn't mean that they should go fast and do it all the time, right? That might be the worst example you could ever give. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm I was just, trying to take. A, I know. I was no, trying no, to I take didn't. something extreme. Yeah, he he looked he looked a lot better actually yesterday. But yeah, I you know the Buffalo Bills in the early '90s had that red gun offense. Red, I can't remember what it was called, but they were tempo, tempo, tempo. It worked well for them. But I just think part of Notre Dame's DNA is wearing people down with that running mm-hmm. game, and I just I just want to be able to ground and pound, use the play action pass, which I think something Parker is going to do a whole lot more than, than Tommy Reese, which I'm really excited about. So again, if it ain't broken, I'm not fixing it right now. Yep. And I think that's all that needs to be said on this. And and, and I'll say the same exact thing that I said last week. It's great for Notre Dame to have this card in its back pocket where it says, Hey, you know, I don't, I don't know what the score is, but if it gets to a situation where we're going to have the ball at the end of the half, we're probably going to go score. That's awesome. Um, and in some of these more dire games, I think that's where you see Notre Dame go, hey, let's try this fast thing. We really need it. Notre Dame hasn't been in a spot to do that yet. Well, maybe the tempo works when the guys are ready for hot dogs and brats in a break. I don't know. <laughs> now, to be fair, if people weren't listening to the broadcast, during the delay, ABC's Molly McGrath, the sideline reporter, she reported that Notre Dame personnel were going to concession stands to get mm-hmm. hot dogs and brats for the team, and the, the players were consuming them. So that's kind of taken on a life of itself, what 
Audric Estime ate a hot dog and then ran 80 yards for a touchdown. <laughs> I think we have to keep in mind, I'm sure being on the road with Notre Dame hockey, I, I'm sure it translates to football. They have food that's there on standby now. Dealing with 20 hockey players compared to what <laughs> 75 football players is a different story. But there were flash flood warnings down there during that storm, oh, yeah. during the delay. So it wasn't like a delivery truck was going to come and, and bring food. So I'm not sure where the story actually starts and ends, but you got to do what you got to do. And you know what? Things turned out pretty well, all things considered. The home team, Tyler, has such an advantage in a delay like that because they have everything at their disposal. The road team has to go with what they brought with them. Yeah, I could only imagine, like, try to visualize what the heck Notre Dame was going on through that because – if you've ever, you know, a lot of people probably haven't seen a visiting locker room for uh, a college football team, but it's it's funny. These places try to make those uh, the, the accommodations there. It's it's not your five star hotel type of thing. I mean, you're probably in a room like as big as my apartment here. I don't know how many square footage we have here, but it's not very big. I mean. To be in there for 105 minutes, I guarantee you there were guys like walking around the hallways, pacing, just trying to get some space and say, hey, I don't know how I'm going to get through this thing. It's kind of funny that uh, part of the way they got through that was let's go get the guys some hot dogs. And uh, Marcus Freeman said it that like as soon as we knew that this wasn't going to be a 30 minute type of deal, it was like, go, go get something that's going to sustain these guys. These are big dudes. They can work off a hot dog like that. I mean, probably just existing they they work off a hot dog so they weren't worried about I mean like Andre Gustime said I wasn't going to have three or four of them I probably wouldn't have scored that 80 yard touchdown but one hot dog wasn't wasn't going to kill him and for Audrick it worked out 80 yard touchdown I mean it probably doesn't sound good you're eating hot dogs and brats no it doesn't <laughs> so I think that's part of the cover-up's not the right word but I'll say this when Notre Dame hockey played the longest game in college hockey history in 2015 we set the record for most peanut butter and jelly sandwiches <laughs> made and consumed during a hockey game hey you gotta do what you gotta do that's for sure yeah that's right. with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky <gasps> No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's get to another offensive question. And this is from Sam, who says, what are your thoughts on the Notre Dame offensive line? Yeah, we'll just call that Sam. Um, yes, I figured you, that probably. Go to the blueandgold.com message board if you want to see what his handle really is. We have some fun there. Uh, definitely a parody account. <laughs> the offensive line, my take on the offensive line is um, I think Tim Hyde made a good point actually last night that it's, it's like a body blow type of um, unit where – Maybe it's not the best, and I don't think it's been the best. I think Pat Coogan is a little better than Rocco Spindler right now. Um, he's moving a little bit better. He also has the benefit of playing next to Joe Alt, and Joe Alt has been considerably better than Blake Fisher. So the left side of the line is better. But that's why you've seen the left side of the line kind of move to the right side and, and all these different things. He's getting these guys out on the move. I think uh, Joe Rudolph 
Jared Parker have done a good job with what they have at the at the offensive line position. Joe Walt's one of the best tackles, best offensive linemen in the country. So you have that. The rest of like I don't think Blake Fisher has played up to his like lofty standard. He was one of the best recruits in the country that year, right? Definitely along the offensive line. Whether it was the injury, whatever it is, he hasn't exactly been that. But throughout the course, and, and this is where I'll drive the offensive line conversation. Throughout the course of a game, if you're doing enough for your quarterback to go 15 of 24 for 286 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, you've done something right. If Audrey Gestime can run 13 times for 134 yards and two touchdowns, you've done something right. I mean, Notre Dame is averaging uh, probably, I don't know, seven, eight yards per play this season. I don't have the number in front of me, but it's good. Like throughout the course of a game, your offensive line needs to be good enough or your offense to put up numbers, to average 47.7 points per game. That's where it's at. Are there going to be missed assignments? Absolutely. Joe Walt had a holding call. I didn't watch the replay, but sometimes even someone like Joe Walt is going to have a misstep or two. It happens. I think outside of the quarterback position is the offensive line, the position where people just scrutinize it the most. Like they see one misstep, one guy gets by an offensive lineman or maybe a false start or a hold. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, our offensive line sucks. Like, it's going to happen, and it has happened for Notre Dame. But enough good things have happened for me to say it's working right now. Is it not, Darren? Yeah, I mean, I'm not as worked up about the offensive line. I think they're holding their own. The running game has been very good. I think we have to give NC State some credit for forcing – the interior offensive line into decisions, bringing extra hats, bringing in a delayed blitzer, which sometimes if you're an offensive guard, you're attached here. And then someone late comes in, you know, you have to feel that or see that coming. So does it need to get better? Yes. But I just think right now with the way the offense is running the football, Sam, for the most part is, is, going to have enough time to throw the football. They're going to be breakdowns. I watched the NFL all day on Sunday, and these are the best players in the world, and they were getting confused. Look at what the New York Giants went through last night with the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, their four-man front was causing them a whole lot of trouble, and their first-round picks on that Giants offensive line. So sometimes you got to tip your cap to the defense, the defensive coordinator. It's never going to be perfect. I love the direction they're going. I don't think they're going in a bad direction. So I'm comfortable with where they are right now. Tests are coming up in two weeks, of course, against Ohio State. No disrespect to the Chippewas, but New Hampshire put up 42 on Central Michigan. I think I'm a little more worried about the Ohio State front at this particular moment. Yeah, and the thing that has me feeling good about the Notre Dame offensive line is this is my third season covering Notre Dame football. The first two seasons, the Notre Dame offensive line was a little bit of a mess in the first month of the season. There has been no at no point in time in these first three weeks we've said, yes, yeah, it's, it's the offensive line that's that's a mess for this football team. This is the reason that they're not going to beat Ohio State or stay with USC or, or go down to Clemson and win. We're not talking about the Notre Dame offensive line as a disadvantage or a weakness of any sort right now. Could it be better? All the time. Every offensive line out there could be better. You go show me the best offensive line in the country in college football. I will watch one, one game. 
maybe only need one quarter and I'll say, yeah, here's where the offensive line didn't look very good on this particular play. It's going to happen. Now, again, in my first two seasons covering Notre Dame, it seemed to happen a lot more than you wanted to. Uh, the Ohio State game, Tyler Buckner gets smashed in the face on the very first play. You don't you don't want to see that happen. Somebody's got to pick that guy up. Uh, there were multiple other instances in that game where I was like, what is this Notre Dame offensive line doing? I haven't said that so far this year. And I know and NC State is a team that they, they were flying to the football. Um, Andrew Gilmore put the comment out right now. Yeah, it did seem like there were seven, eight guys in the box like all the time. And yeah, Notre Dame allowed four sacks, but if it was every play, that's going to happen. And some of those sacks were on, as Andrew Gilmore points out here, the wide receivers get open. Uh, and if they are open, Sam Hartman's going to hit it. Maybe Sam Hartman held onto the ball a little bit uh, too long or, or misstepped in the pockets. You can step into pressure if you're a quarterback. It's always better to step out of it. Sam Hartman, I trust him to know what he's doing, to, to do that more times than not. But you're going to misstep and step into some guys when NC State puts so many different people in the box. So um, I, I don't, I, I didn't leave that game, even with NC State pretty much selling out in the box to say, hey, we're going to stop your run. We're going to get to your quarterback. You're not going to be able to do the things that you want to do. I didn't leave that game thinking, oh, Notre Dame's offensive line failed, the, failed that test. They didn't. Notre Dame scored 45 points. Uh, Sam Hartman had four touchdowns. Like it, it, it worked. Audrey Estime had 134 yards. It, it seemed to work. Well, let's see if an adjustment down the line might be a screen game being added to the repertoire yeah. for the Irish. For okay, sure. so why don't we stop for a second because Caldera Lab is one of our sponsors and they provide, well, people like you and I, men that have some, you know, skin issues that they are there to kind of help us look a whole lot better. Yeah. And you say skin issues, everyone's got them. I mean, nobody has flawless skin. So here's the way that Caldera Lab puts it. You're going to brush your teeth every single day, right? Why do you do that? Because it's a healthy part of your day and you don't want bad teeth. I don't think anyone here wants bad teeth. Brush your teeth at least twice a day. Why wouldn't you take the next step and add in skin skincare habits to your daily routine? I did it. I'm using Caldera Lab and I promise you, I'll probably use in this for the foreseeable future, maybe for the rest of my life. I know I just turned 28 yesterday. At some point, I'm going to be 38. At some point, I'm going to be 48. And you're really going to need uh, skincare because if you want to stay looking 28, you're going to have to use Caldera Lab. It's the only way to do it. What Caldera Lab is, it's high-performance men's skincare products. They do it like nobody else. Uh, it's a three-step regimen. So you have your clean slate, which is your uh, – your, your cleanser, basically. So you're washing off all the bad stuff you get on your face all day. And there's there's plenty of it out there. We're all we're all guys here. Most of us are guys here watching this. You're going to have some uh, some dirty stuff getting on your face. It's just what happens. Clean slate flix, fixes that. The base layer is your moisturizer. Once you wipe your face clean, you hydrate your skin. Uh, you, if, if you get a sunburn, what do you do? You use aloe vera, right? So your face, you're going to want to moisturize that as well. And then uh, the good, that's your... It's called The Good because it is good. Is your multifunctional serum at night that helps your skin look tighter and smoother. That's the stuff that's going to clear up some wrinkles and all of those fine lines that nobody wants. Uh, if you're going to a Notre Dame tailgate, you're going to want to use this product because I said it last week. You're going to show up and you're going to say, hey, 
your friends are going to say, Hey, what's going on? Like, you're looking really good. Answer is Caldera Lab. Uh, there, there's a statistic here that I believe they threw out um, 3.4 million antioxidant units protecting your skin when you put on that good multifunctional serum. Other brands do not do that. So if you're using something to wash your face right now, you're not using Caldera Lab. There are antioxidant units protecting your skin in Caldera Lab that you're not going to get anywhere else. So you want to go to calderalab.com right now, and we can get you 20% off with uh, this code. And I don't see the code right here. Um, there, we will put it in the uh, description of this video. So if you're watching this right now, you're at the right place. We'll put it in the description. 20% off with the code uh, that we're going to put in the description of this video. So Mike, uh, not Mike, Darren. Like you said, we're all dudes here, Caldera Lab. It's going to get you looking right for football season. I guarantee you, if you go to a Notre Dame tailgate this year and you're using Caldera Lab, somebody's going to say, hey, what's going on? What can I get? The answer is Caldera Lab. It'll have you looking right. And your code, I believe, is BGI23. There we go. I, I don't know why it wasn't on here. The code is BGI23. This is why I have Darren here hosting, BGI23. There it is on the screen, calderalab.com, BGI23. It's good stuff, man. Again, like I said, I just turned 28, so probably some people out there who have a few years on me, but if you're using this stuff, uh, it's going to get you right. It's going to get you looking good for Notre Dame game days. All you have to know is the other day, Mike Singer called Tyler and said, Tyler, you are just glowing since you started using those <laughs> products. If that is not all you need to know, I don't know what else you need. That's it. Put. Same That's it. Put. Okay, let's get back to one of our questions in our Hey Horka segment. Again, he's Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. I'm WSBT Radio's Darren Pritchett. In fact, Tyler and I will be talking Notre Dame football on my radio show tonight at 5.30. You can check us out at 9.60 a.m. WSBT. We also stream at wsbtradio.com, and we have a WSBT radio app if you'd like to Jump in and join my radio show, 5 to 7 Eastern tonight. Okay, let's go to B. Smitty, who has a question for you, Tyler. Is it reason for concern that Notre Dame only has four sacks through three games? The easy answer to this is yes. And I think there is definitely still some reason for concern because uh, if you average that out, Notre Dame's going to have 16 sacks over the course of – a 12-game season, and I believe there were only six teams in the FBS last year that had 16 or fewer sacks. So you don't want to be at the bottom of that chart. But then you got to dive into it a little bit and say, okay, Navy, you're not sacking Navy a lot. I mean, they're not throwing the ball enough. I think they had six or seven pass attempts in that game. So you're not going to get your sacks against Navy. And then you go to Tennessee State, and the narrative was, okay, this is an FCS team. They, they love this RPO offense. They get the ball out early against the opponents that they play normally anyway. Now you're playing Notre Dame and, the, I mean, the, the size difference, the talent disparity between Tennessee State and Notre Dame is just, like, so massive that they were going to – that was the game plan. Get the ball out. We're not going to take sacks. Uh, run the football a little bit if we have to. If it's going to be three and out, so be it. We're not going to turn the ball over because our quarterback – fumbled it away or, or anything like that. So you're not going to get a whole lot of sacks there. And then NC State, Brennan Armstrong's a 23-year-old quarterback who's 
I, I wrote this at blueandgold.com in the my, my most recent article this afternoon. He wasn't going to lose the game because he was taking a whole lot of sacks. And he's a mobile quarterback anyway. So he's getting out on the run, doing all these different things. And he just didn't take a whole lot of sacks. Instead, he tried to say, hey, I'm not going to go down. I'm going to throw this ball over the middle of the uh, middle of the field. And what did you see? Xavier Watts interception, uh, DJ Brown interception. Uh, he tried Benjamin Morrison on, on a deep ball that was picked off. So Brennan Armstrong tried to win that game with his arm because it became very evident early that Notre Dame wasn't going to let him win that game with his feet. And the end result was a couple interceptions. And Marcus Freeman said that like, Hey, maybe we're not getting sacks, but if our pressure is leading to interceptions, then what's it matter? And, and we're going to talk about um, the blitzing specifically to, to wrap up this show, but just in terms of like, is Notre Dame doing enough to get to the quarterback? Uh, yeah, I think it is. They, Notre Dame didn't allow a touchdown uh, until what was that? The end of the first half, like that was the 10th quarter of football for Notre Dame. That was the first touchdown allowed the defensive line, the front seven, is doing something right. Even if it's not getting a bunch of sacks, they're a part of that. And that that's what Marcus Freeman's message was. Hey, collectively, this overall defensive thing is looking good. These are the roles, results that we wanted. We didn't go into this year saying, Hey, we need 50 sacks. We went into this year saying, Hey, we need to be a good defensive team. I think Notre Dame's been that so far. First off, I agree with Vigo. You look like a prime Leonardo DiCaprio. I like to second that hey, comment. It's because of Caldera Lab. That's the only reason. Yep. I know. I know. You know, in terms of getting pressure on the quarterback, I think we all came into the season assuming that the front four wasn't going to be able to consistently get the pressure you're looking for. Isaiah Foskey was tremendous all-time sack leader. Now he's an Orleans Saint. So I think, Tyler, we knew it was going to be a weakness, but we also said all along, with the corners you have, it opens up the possibilities for Al Golden to bring blitzes from all different directions. And I think we started to see what's in his repertoire against North Carolina State. We saw a linebacker and safety blitz at the same time. We saw the linebackers come. So Al, I think, sees what we all see, that the front four is not consistently going to be able to do it to get that pressure by themselves. And that's okay. When you got corners that can cover – you can cause a lot of havoc with those extra blitzers coming. And so you're not getting the sack totals, but the quarterback hurries or something to always look at. You just talked about the turnovers. And I think something going forward, we all need to remember, if Notre Dame takes on a team that has their quarterback by design getting rid of the football in a hurry, that's going to lead to the quarterback hurries and sack numbers going down. Prime example, yesterday, Jimmy Garoppolo of the Raiders, he was getting the ball out of his hands so quickly, Denver didn't have any sacks. And it makes it look like, well, they stink, you know, with their pass rush. But if you're if you're going up against a quarterback that the ball's out of his hand quick, that's going to keep those numbers low. So I just say going forward, keep that in mind as you're watching the game. Yeah, absolutely. And to a point you made a little bit earlier, earlier there, this is from Marcus Freeman in his Monday press conference. And I think it encapsulates the whole um, gist of what Notre Dame is in terms of a pass rushing team. I have full confidence in our pass rush with four guys, but I think that's who we are is being able to keep offensive off balance by bringing second level linebackers, but also defensive backs in terms of the pressure package and being able to put multiple cover coverages behind it. 
that all comes into factor. So um, it, it's basically the de a defense's version of being multiple. You talk about multiplicity in football all the time. Give offenses di give offenses different looks. If you don't have an Isaiah Foskey, that's going to be the guy that you know is averaging one sack per game. Notre Dame doesn't have that guy. Lost him to the NFL this past offseason. Uh, Jordan Batello is trying to get there. Maybe Josh Burnham is eventually that guy, but right now Notre Dame doesn't have it. So send, uh, and we're going to talk about blitzing in a minute, so send those guys. Uh, there's been so many instances where both J.D. Bertrand and Mar Maris Leofau go to the quarterback on the same play. Like that. That's who Notre Dame is. That's its DNA as a pass rushing team right now. Is it resulting in sacks? No, but um, how would I pop this onto the screen? And I, I will show you what it is resulting in. This is from my article at blueandgold.com recently. Notre Dame is number five in the nation in presser, pressure percentage, which means based on every, it takes every pass rush snap where a team is getting to the quarterback, quarterback drops back to pass, Notre Dame's going to the quarterback. 45.1% of those instances are resulting in pressures. And I believe uh, the definition that uh, this is from Sports Info Solutions, the definition, uh, yeah, there it is, of a pressure in their eyes is um, pass rushes that result in the quarterback hurry, hit, knockdown, or sack. Notre Dame only has four of those. But all of those things factor in. And Notre Dame, fifth in the country, presser percentage. That's pretty good. That's good company. But if you look at that chart, which everyone is right now, if you're watching on the YouTube, we thank you for that. Um, of those five teams that are top five in the country, pressure percentage, Notre Dame by far has the lowest sack percentage at 5.6. UCLA leads the country pressure percentage, 10.7 uh, per sack percentage. Virginia Tech, 10.4 sack percentage. Pittsburgh, 11.5. Very good number. Texas State, 9.4. Notre Dame, 5.6. So that's where the concern, when B. Smitty 8 asks, hey, is this concerning? Yeah, you're getting all of these opportunities and you're getting to the quarterback. You're just not fully bringing them down. And that's that's not over pursuing. That's tackling. That's also the things that we talked about with Navy not throwing the ball like you can pressure Navy's quarterback, but he's probably going to run or he's going to pitch it off to somebody. And, and all of a sudden your sack opportunity is gone. You can pressure the Tennessee State quarterback, get a hand in his face, but he's going to throw it out real quickly. You can't sack him when he gets the ball out. So um once you play these teams that are going to want to play a little bit more uh, conventionally and say, I'm going to stick in the pocket and, and try to push the ball downfield because that's the offense we are. And that's how we win football games. I think if Notre Dame keeps the pressure percentage up, there's, there's, I mean, there's only one place for the sack percentage to go and that's up. So I think that's why Marcus Freeman was confident in his Monday press conference. He's saying, Hey, we're doing the right things. The sack, this, that was literally his quote today was they'll come, they will come. The sacks will come. I agree with him. Well, the havoc being caused is a positive three interceptions. And you could argue, as Jason Smith pointed out in one of his comments, there were a couple of drops. Morrison could have had two. And I remember Christian Gray having the ball as he reached out, hit both of his hands. I think yeah. it might have been one of those. He was going to bat it down last second. I think he tried to catch it, just couldn't haul it in. But Armstrong's yeah. numbers could have been a heck of a lot worse. Yeah, and on that Morrison play, I think Mickey was or you know running down the field with the wide receiver and corner of Morrison's eye. He's like, "Oh God, these guys are coming! If I do go all the way to get this football, I might get run over by them." 
probably a smart play. You don't want your best corner, one of your best defensive players, risking injury on a play like that. I don't think NC State ended up scoring on that drive anyway, so wasn't a big deal. And then, as we mentioned earlier, he went and got his interception anyway. He was he was on that guy like glue. That was uh, that was the Benjamin Morrison that we've come to know. So seventh INT of his career was a very impressive one. Which leads right into our final Hey Horka question for today from Aerofan624. Our thoughts on Notre Dame's blitz calls? Yeah, I think they're pretty good. I've got some numbers here from uh, Brennan Armstrong's game. These are courtesy of Pro Football Focus. Um, so it looks like Notre Dame blitzed Brennan Armstrong 20 times. And he was able to attempt to pass on all 20 of those. So there's your, Hey, maybe we need to sack this guy at some point. Um, th th that's evidence of that. If you're able to throw all 20 passes on 20 blitzes, but he only completed eight of those. So that's 40%, 91 yards, 4.6 yards per attempt. Not great. Uh, no touchdowns and one interception. So I think that's evidence of the blitz working. And I wrote last week at blueandgold.com about Notre Dame's Aztec package, which that has become base defense, by the way. That, when Notre Dame is in anywhere from like third and three to probably third and 10 or so, uh, they put six, it's, it's the dime defense. They put six defensive backs on the field, um, combination of usually two linebackers and three def, uh, defensive linemen. And you don't know exactly what all of those guys are doing. The three defensive linemen, they're full steam ahead, uh, whether it's stunting, doing whatever to try to get to the quarterback. But usually the two linebackers go on a blitz as well. But then one of those defensive backs, Thomas Harper is usually the Aztec guy is, is what it's looked like. He can blitz, he can cover, he can drop back, he can survey the middle of the field, maybe even spy the quarterback a little bit. Uh, it, it's been impressive to see that Aztec package that was talked about so much in the preseason actually be effective because a lot of these blitzes, 20 blitzes against NC state, a lot of those a blitz by definition is when you rush at least five guys, you're rushing more than that, the standard four down. And a lot of that is occurring for Notre Dame on third down. And uh, I want to take a look at what, what was NC state on third down in, in that football game? I don't think it was great. Darren, do you have it? Um, I have it right here. Eight of 19. So not 50%. And, and to force uh, NC State into 19 third downs, you don't see that a whole lot either. So that was a lot of opportunity for Notre Dame to put that Aztec package out there. That's probably why you saw 20 blitzes. But um, overall, Darren, I don't think we've come away from any of these games saying, man, that blitz was awful. Like the, the double safety blitz that we talk about at Ohio State from last year so much. That was an awful blitz. I haven't really seen – a blitz this year like that. I think there was one instance in the uh, in this game, though, where I looked to the reporter to my left and I was like, what the heck is Notre Dame doing blitzing here? Do you remember the specific situation, Darren? I don't know if we're talking about the same play, but I will say there was a play in this game and I apologize. I should have wrote it down what the result of the mm -hmm. play was, but there were two players that were 10, 12 yards away from the line of scrimmage. That's where they took off from on the blitz. So it was kind of like that double safety blitz that came from a long way. So they didn't even get close to the quarterback. That's the only one where I was kind of holding my breath like, oh, boy, what's going to happen at the end of this play? But other than that, I think blitz packages. I'm excited what Golden's doing right now. Yeah, I think we might be thinking of the same play. And I don't think it ended poorly for Notre Dame. But it was like, uh, I think it was like 
it was third and a little bit, like third and 12 or 15 or something. Maybe we're thinking of a different play then because the one I'm thinking of was uh, it was the Aztec package was out there. And I think Notre Dame sent six guys to the quarterback on third and 15, just totally vacated the middle of the field. That's it. Uh, if Brennan Ar- if Brennan Armstrong was on his A game that day, or maybe he had better receivers to throw to, Notre Dame's going to see some teams that have better receivers. I don't think a play like that works. So maybe it's an instance of Golden saying, hey, I, I've seen enough football today to know that he's not going to hit this. Let's send him with it. But, like, if you do that against – I know C.J. Stroud's not Ohio State's quarterback anymore, but against, like, C.J. Stroud, that doesn't work. I don't think it works against Caleb Williams. Uh, luckily for Notre Dame – it looks like it's probably going to work against Kate Klubnik because, boy, did he struggle. That pick six that he threw against – was it Georgia Southern? Am I, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Charleston yikes. Southern, I think. Charleston Southern, okay. Um, but, yeah, maybe it's situational, Darren, where Notre, Dame, Notre Dame's Al Golden says, hey, I've seen enough of this game to know that I can do this here. Because, again, I think the biggest point in this blitz talk is I haven't come away saying – Oh my gosh, that was the ugliest thing I've ever seen. There were some instances where I'm like, maybe I wouldn't have done that, but I'm I'm not the defensive coordinator for the University of Notre Dame. So overall, I kind of trust what Golden's doing with this. Absolutely. I'm excited. I think the defense is coming along very, very well. I, you know, I'll, I'll just say this. I, I heard Dave Doran's post-game comments. He felt like the scoreboard wasn't indicative to the play of the game. I agree with that, but I look at it from a different perspective. When Notre Dame was up 10-0, I felt like they should have been up 20, 24 to nothing. I, I, there were points in that first half where I felt like, man, they should be ahead a whole lot more. But some things happened that went against them that didn't, you know, go their way. But as the game went on, you know, I felt like they were the better football team. I think NC State's probably a 7-8 win team in my estimation. I thought they did a great job on Armstrong, which made them probably not look as good. So I think they passed with flying colors in this game. I'm glad they won by 21. I always thought this was a dangerous game. So let's get through Central Michigan, play good, solid football, continue to build and build. And you know what? In two weeks, we may have a whole lot of fun on our hands. Yeah, in one week when we're uh, when we're doing this show, I think that's going to be a hyped one. People are going to realize the magnitude of – What's ahead of Notre Dame that week? I mean, I, I what was it? Thirty-two points spread for Notre Dame to beat Michigan or uh, Central Michigan this week. So I heard uh, that. Yeah, I, I think I actually in our magazine predictions. Which, by the way, thank thank God uh, that came up. You go to blueandgoldonline.com. Stopped by our office today to grab one of those bad boys. I mean, nobody else on the beat. Uh, nobody that covers Notre Dame is doing this. Fifty-six pages, I believe it is. Maybe sixty pages. Wow of Notre Dame football content, 56 pages um, like that. If you sleep in on Sunday mornings, which I guarantee you a lot of y'all do if you're watching uh, college football off Saturday, maybe having some choice beverages, maybe some Jameson triple-triple if you've been to Ireland recently like I have. Uh, had a glass for my birthday yesterday. You're probably sleeping in. That thing might hit your email uh, mailbox the digital version by the time that you wake up that's how awesome our production team is at blue and gold illustrated have to shout them out anytime i can but um yeah like i was saying darren when we're talking next this time next week um i have a feeling that's going to be a pretty uh entertaining show a lot of people tuning in because 
that's the one you circle. That's the one you circle in September if you're Notre Dame. And it looks like highest stakes possible is going to be the situation facing both of those teams. Well, this week's college football slate is a little snoozy. But look ahead to next week. There are seven or eight fantastic matchups, including Notre Dame, Ohio State. So this is just going to be kind of the uh, – Uh, Let's get through this week, everybody. That's really, really good. Get your wins. Move on to next week. And then we're going to have a lot of fun next week. And let me just say this really quick, Tyler. Being in the radio TV business, this is Peacock Week. Notre Dame Central Michigan is on the Peacock streaming service. The game will not be on your local NBC channel. And I know this from experience. If you're upset, There's no reason to call your local NBC station, email them, scream at them because it's not their fault. This has nothing to do with them. This is a Notre Dame NBC upper echelon's decision to move this game to Peacock. So if you want to pay the $5.90 something subscription for a month to watch the game, fantastic. If not, hey, those of us in the radio industry, we're still free. You can tune in, Paul Vermeister and Ryan Harris call a terrific game. And you'll be able to watch the game eventually. It'll be up on YouTube probably. So, hey, 960 a.m. in South Bend or however you stream Notre Dame sports. If you don't want to pay the $5.99, I can't blame you. We have to pick and choose our streaming services now. So radio is always a good option. Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't want to watch at all, you're just like, you know what, total boycott. Go to blueandgold.com after the game. We will have coverage, no doubt about that. And, uh, if you're not subscribed already, maybe that will entice you to do so because, again, we're covering Notre Dame football. For everyone watching audio only, I was showing um, our YouTube watchers our Blue and Gold Illustrated magazine that we put out after every single game. It's a weekly thing during the season, and then obviously all of that content ends up at blueandgold.com as well. So, Darren, I think we hit on all the key points, man. This was another good one. Absolutely enjoyed it. I was going to ask you how you spent your time in the rain delay. Did anything exciting happen in the press box? Uh, I would say that I had hot dogs, but I did not. We did not get the uh, hot dog treatment. That was halftime, which it's ironic. Halftime was only 15 minutes, and we had 105 minutes of a weather delay where I think I had a piece of cake. Shout out to Matt Carter of the Wolfpacker, who uh, is leaving that fine uh, publication and another really good magazine within the on three network. Uh, he's leaving that job after, I think I want to say close to 20 years or around to 20 years. So uh, somebody in the press box got him some, some cake. And I was like, you know what, this is a good time to to have this slice of cake. So shout out to Matt Carter, really awesome job covering NC state after all these years. So I just kind of watched the lightning ate cake and waited for football to come back there. And there wasn't a, a whole lot going on up in that press box. Hopefully they put on some other games. You could watch Dion and the Buffaloes pull out a win. Yeah, we did. We did. We did watch a lot of Colorado football up there. <clears throat> All right. Oh, I think you got yourself muted there, Darren. You got to unmute yourself to sign off here. It's not unmuted. I guess I will do I'll do the signing off here because technology is uh, not wanting to cooperate with Darren. But again, I appreciate everyone who tuned in for this uh, Notre Dame football show. Hey, Horka is what it's called. 3 p.m. Eastern every Monday. It's a good time slot uh, right after Marcus Freeman's press conference. 
we will be doing this throughout the season and maybe even into the off season as well. So like this, uh, this particular video, subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't done so already. Uh, and definitely go to blueandgold.com for coverage of Notre Dame football throughout the week leading into the Central Michigan game. And again, as we were talking about a little bit earlier, we will see you right here at this same time next week talking Notre Dame, Ohio State should be a really good one. See you all then. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-424-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.